Hello there, friends. Andrea with the Bangs here. For today's discussion, I had the chance to speak with David Fuller. He was very kind to give me this interview. I haven't spoken with him since over a year ago when I spoke with him about the intellectual dark web. For today's discussion, I I really felt compelled to speak with David specifically because of the interview that he did with Jonathan Rousen about Jordan Peterson-itis, I believe. That was the name of the, uh, the article that Rousen wrote. But I was more interested in speaking with him about the the impact that Jordan Peterson has had on the people he has inspired, I suppose, to look at things in a different way that that they really weren't being looked at before. And so I reached out and David was kind enough to give me an interview. And I wish that we had both seen the Peterson-John Verveke interview because I think there would have been some more discussion within our talk that pertains to that. But he actually did a chat with Paul Vanderclay since I spoke with him last Wednesday. So I will link that in the description below because I think it would be a good uh, follow-up to this interview that I have with David. So give me a comment. Let me know what you think about this, this talk. I imagine that a lot of you will have uh, thoughts and I would be happy to read what you have to say. And if you're new, please don't forget to subscribe and give me a like if you like it. Anyway, without further ado, here is David Fuller. Okay, so hello, friends. We just did a take two. So thank you for being gracious, David Fuller. No worries. I'm very gracious. You're... This is me. I say, I'm saying your name. This is the intro. This is the official intro, David Fuller. Everyone knows who you are now of Rebel Wisdom. You have, that's your of. And and the banter helps just to get in the flow. Yeah. So that we, we yeah, don't do it's, formal it's English around humor. here. It's, yes. it's not actually very funny, but we do it with an English accent <laughs> and people kind of seem to laugh. So that's okay. I mean, you've got a little bit of a, a smile, so a little smirk. So we're like, good time? Okay, it's good. Okay, this is how yeah. I will deal with British folks in the future. Okay, so we had a really good intro, and we're going to recreate it, and it's going to be even better, I predict. So I, I wanted to discuss sort of the Jordan Peterson first and second wave with you, because after watching your, uh, your little Woods chat with Jonathan Rousen, I just, I emailed you pretty much that, I think that night, because I was like, I need to, I need to talk about this with David. And we're on first name basis, David. Um, and so I, I did, I, I, I wanted to not talk about the things you spoke about, because obviously you, you did that conversation. I don't want to have a repeat of it. But it did sort of spark things that I've been mulling around in my head quite a bit. So Peterson... First wave, second wave. I'm going to talk about second wave a little bit later with you, but but first, I wanted to discuss with you what happened in the culture at that time through him. Like he touched on something. So, but you saw it before, and that's what I'm trying to get at with with the start for this. I'd like to start with how did you know? 
how did you know regarding Peterson? So you, I said this in the last, in the cold. Yeah. Game. You get all the marbles the... on on him, really. So. Yeah. And in, in the even better intro that we did at the beginning, um, okay. wow, you said, wow. I, put all, I put all, what did you say? I put all my marbles on. Yeah, you on put him. all the marbles. Yes, I tried to get it in there, but now you let them know it was better That's okay. the first time. Yeah, so I guess, like you say, we don't want to recap everything that I talked about with Jonathan, but I think a bit of context is that I saw, I think it's a good, it's a good summary. I did feel like I put all of my coins on Jordan Peterson in, 2017 2018 because when i when i sort of found his work in mid 2017 my immediate thought was this is exactly what we need right now mm. it was so appropriate for the cultural conversation there was this sense that he was carrying like an archetypal force which is something that richard tarnas um the archetypal astrologer archetypal uh, jungian thinker also reflected like he there was something more than just him mm. and what that what that is and what that was is something we've covered a lot on rebel wisdom um for me coming from the mainstream media and being very aware of how that conversation is quite narrow the really significant thing or one of the significant things for me was that he was challenging the new atheist hegemony in the cultural conversation the sort of and bringing an appreciation of myth or an appreciation of religion, an appreciation of kind of a deeper spiritual religious perspective that, but going toe to toe, like he, he also had the, the science as well. He wasn't coming with a sort of woolly uh, new age perspective. He also mm. had the scientific perspective. Um, and there was also the sense that I think a, a friend of mine, Daniel Thorson said that, that Peterson broke a conversational seal. So I think he was, he was part of this kind of insurgency against a naively, a naive liberal worldview, which is a sort of low resolution liberal grand narrative that actually was wrong in lots of significant parts. And there was a sort of more Trump represented another kind of um, rejection of that worldview in a much more coarse way. And the Trump movement rejected that, sort of represented that. But I think Peterson managed to articulate what was wrong with it, what was wrong with its conceptions of gender, what was wrong with its conceptions of um, like an, inclus an inclusive worldview that was actually radically exclusive and radically othering towards people who didn't, didn't agree, mm -hmm. like was very judgmental towards... And the basket of deplorables was very judgmental towards a whole group of people and anyone who didn't agree with them and think like they did. And that is what I think Peterson was articulating really well. And that was sort of fueling that was fueling his rise that he was able to kind of articulate that. Um, so that, I think, was the was the power of the the thing he was articulating the flip side of that is that I think at his best, and this is something I discussed with Jonathan, at his best, I think he was able to point beyond the culture war, beyond the division and say, this is what the left is bringing, this is what the right is bringing. But because of the balance in the culture, he was largely picked up more by the right. Mm. And then I think over time became more of a player, more of an active participant in that culture war, which you can perfectly understand why when he was misrepresented and mis 
quoted and treated badly in many of his interviews. And I mean, I'm, I'm well aware of the trajectory of that. And he would have been a, it would have been almost impossible for him not to have been affected by that. But I know from having followed his trajectory very closely, speaking to a lot of people who were very, who also were following it closely, they saw uh, him change over that time. They saw him change quite significantly and become more and more abrasive, more and more um, pinched, narrow, reactive. And I mean, fair play, he's human and we're all human. And but, but my sense, and this is where we're talking about sort of Peterson 1 and Peterson 2, like my hope, like for me, he tried to, do, on some level, I feel like he tried to do it all himself. And very much his attitude when he came from, he was he was shot out of Toronto into the culture. And I feel like he had this kind of confrontational, mano a mano kind of style that people reacted to and responded to and, and felt positively towards. But also, I think it was unsustainable. I think it was an unsustainable way of being in the world. Um, and I think people started looking to him for certainty. They started looking to him for... Um, to have the answers for everything, and he didn't have the answers for everything. Right. Um, and maybe, as I'm sure we'll, we'll get to, like I hope that Peterson too can come back in a more collaborative way, and that, and yeah, that that would be my 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 overall frame. Okay. There's probably a lot to pick up on there. Well, it is. And, I, like, don't jump to part two quite yet, David. We, and we will. Like, we will. I, I do want to pick up where you brought us there. But I, I do just want to go back because to the how did you know. But you're, you're giving me the answer almost like the breadth of rebel wisdoms. Like, well, well, it was touching on something and we picked it up and, and all that, which is, which is great. But, but for you, when you were in his love, house filled with lovely totems and, and British Columbia native art, you know, what, what were you, like what was going on in your, in your head as to because you didn't know that like you're you're you know you gave us sort of hindsight answer which makes sense because most of us do that but but when you're in his home discussing these great things with him like what are you what are you thinking and what are you expecting for even personally because how did you 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 know the culture as well as you can but you know you like as far as well I guess how well do you know yourself? Like, I know Peterson are like, I, I beg to differ, but, but, but you know what you're thinking and what you're feeling. So, so I do, what am I asking? What, where were you in that space right then thinking this is worth betting all the marbles? Mm. I mean, if you go back to that interview, which was, I think happened in, October or November 2017 that I then released as an interview but also turned into documentary Truth in the Time of Chaos. 
if you look back at that interview, I didn't ask him very much at all about cultural stuff. It was much more about Jung, the mm -hmm. shadow, mm -hmm. synchronicities, sort of his more sort of spiritual, um, religious understanding and perspective. Yeah. Um, and that was what I really felt he articulated beautifully, this sense of the Logos, truth. Um, and I felt like he, yeah, he, there was something very congruent between his message and his his method at that point. Like okay. he, he really was doing the thing that he was talking about. He was, you, you got this sense of kind of, yeah, this real alignment between the man and the message. Okay. Um, and, and that cut through at the time that I just felt, and also just having a, having a sense of the cultural conversation, having a sense of um, where it got stuck. It was like, this is the thing that we need to unstick so many of these, of these kind of stuck points. Mm -hmm. um, and me, me, myself, I guess I'm, I'm someone who does this every now and again, like gets very passionate about a certain thing and is convinced that it's the next big thing. And sometimes Guys, I'm right. this is the next big thing. And then you're... <laughs> well, I did. Sometimes I'm right. And then sometimes I'm right. And I don't stick with it. Like I had loads of Bitcoin a while ago. And then I <laughs> kind of sold them. And I was I, I told loads of people about Bitcoin. There's lots of people who are very wealthy because of because I told them about Bitcoin like five, six, seven years ago. But personally, I had a, quite a few and then ended up selling them because I don't have that much sort of sticking power. Um, oh. So, yeah, there was this sense. So I've done this many times. I've yeah. sort of seen what the next big thing might be, but then haven't really followed through. Oh, but um, luckily, Peterson, it happened quick. Happened quick. <laughs> You're like, oh, I didn't have to yeah. Denison you. <laughs> he, he, he stuck around. Well, he stuck around yeah. until he didn't. Like, so, so... There's a, this is so perfect. So there's the first and the second wave, but the second wave, there's a, there's a space in between because he had, he, he, he was going whole, like full tilt, like you were saying, and, and then had to leave because of his wife's illness and then his own. And there was, but he, he left, but many didn't. And, and, and we're like, we were all still there on Twitter. We were all still there, and and there, the IDW fell apart when he was gone, and and I that was the last time I spoke with you was about you know what is this IDW thing? Is it even the thing? And and what could it be? And and all those things, but it's it's now I get even more clarity looking back. It was just one thing, because uh, you were in your little sum up video. Um, it wasn't a sum up video. It was like a promoting the the courses that you guys are. All right, you mm. it just came out yesterday, is it? Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so so you, it was perfect. I'm like, oh, this is fueling my interview with David for tomorrow. So so you guys brought this up about the factions and the little tribes that formed. So no, 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 no. They were more more coherent together, but then now Trump is gone and now um, COVID is winding down ish you know and and so they're 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 turning into like more fractals whereas they were a little bit more coherent and we saw that a little bit earlier on with the idw sort of 
breaking apart. And so this is the in intermission for, for Peterson. And, and so I, and my question there is, like, I'm kind of insinuating why, but I'd like to know why from, from your perspective. And I know we had an entire discussion as to what's going on with the IDW before, but I feel like it's even more straightforward and simple now. So please, straightforward mm. and simple answer, David. Can you summarize the question again? Okay. Um, yeah. So things are breaking. Things in the interim Peterson period were going whole force as almost like these behemoths of groups combining and, and alliances and the enemy of my enemy is my friend with the atheists and the Christians. <laughs> and whatnot, you know, um, and, and others, you know, and they really formed these groups, IDW being one of them. And then, sorry, intellectual dark web for those of you who don't know. But then now they've broken apart, I'd say, and are just down to little individuals of people and, and they're not really groups anymore. So I just want to know in that interim period why they stayed together so well and now they're they've sort of fizzled out yeah i mean the intellectual dark web is something again that we covered quite a lot on rebel wisdom and i think they sold themselves as being non-tribal but i think as many people have pointed out there they were a tribe they were um they had their own sort of tribal alliances um and there was a sense that they split along different lines, especially in the run up to the election in, in 2020. Um, and Peterson was was absent for that. I wonder if he hadn't been absent, how that might have played out and whether it might have played out in a different way. Mm -hmm. But my sense, my sense now, like the fragmentation you're talking about and that we put out on the film a couple of days ago is... I think Trump, in a way, was this incredible, obviously this incredibly polarizing force, and the arguments people fell out on different sides of this. Like some people saying, "Well, Trump is our only chance against the radical left, against wokeness," and I always thought that was a that was a that was wrong because he was like he fed it, he fed it, and he basically. Um, from their perspective, proved everything about their their critique of um, America being this racist, uh, ignorant. Like Trump, Trump was a was an example of the thing. I'm very easy to make the case on the other side. And I also feel like he was like the real battle line in culture. Why Barry Weiss was forced out of the New York Times? Um, why? Um, Andrew Sullivan had to leave New York Magazine, where he had all these revolts in different news organizations over last summer, which I covered in something called the Sense Making series. The real fault line where most of the heat is, is between wokeness, uh, broadly defined, social justice ideology, and old school liberalism. And Trump rode in on the back of that and was kind of, as a, as a prime... I mean, as a, as a scam artist, effectively, he was able to kind of weaponize that division right. and take and um, be elected. 
But ultimately, it's, it's a civil war within the left, which is something that Brett and Eric Weinstein have talked about. And I think Trump was a distraction from that civil war within the left, that now that Trump is out of the way, that's the battle that, that ultimately needs to be fought. It's not so much between left and right. I mean, there's obviously divisions between left and right, and there's divisions all over the map that my friend Peter Lindbergh talks about the different mimetic tribes of what he calls culture war 2.0, mm. which is a more sort of multipolar war. And that, but I think the most heat is along that dividing line between um, social justice when it turns into an all-encompassing ideology versus liberalism, which is is more about individuals, individual difference, meritocracy, that that kind of, and that's a, that is where I think we've seen a lot of the fragmentation. We've seen a lot of people on the anti-woke side, I think, get captured by serious ideology and become the thing they're fighting against. Mm -hmm. Someone like James Lindsay being the perfect example from my perspective. And so you've seen James Lindsay fall out with Claire Lehman. You've seen Sam Harris fall out with, with most rest. of the rest of the IDW. Yeah. You've seen all of this sort of... So I think I think Trump, in a in a weird paradoxical way, was a unifying factor in many, many ways that now that he's gone, I think it's safer in some ways to make the argument against social justice extremism when you're not being accused of basically benefiting Trump. So I think there's a there's a freedom now for those of us who are suspicious of that ideology, but um but were, were, I guess, from the other side, vulnerable to the attack that you're, you're helping get Trump reelected or whatever, like that's now no longer there. So I think it's allowed for a lot more diversity of opinion and for a lot more of these fractures to open up. And I think we've seen that really happen after the election. Is that helpful? I, I don't know yes. how Peterson relates to that so much. No, no, it does. No, I, it does. No, I've got it all. I've, I've visuals the visual discussion in my head is forming. So don't worry. So, so don't you worry, David Fuller. So I, I will bring it all together. So, so you, you touched on the heart of Peterson's message. You saw, you know, in your little, I can see things happen sometimes. You saw, you saw this, this sort of more, I will say spiritual, but psychological, slash spiritual sort of things yet yet in his in his absence but but no people but but many people picked up on the political side of him like that's mm. what a law that's what almost drove his popularity is a mix of clean up your room sorry clean up your damn room and mm -hmm. and oh he's you know speaking standing up against uh them them the establishment's taking away our freedom of speech and and whatnot and 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 but you but but what you saw you weren't looking at that from how it sounds but but many were and and many of these these factions we're talking about were all, I, I see it as holding up looking at the top layer whereas like there's this depth that many did pull towards but was getting because of trump it was like all brought up there but then trump goes away and like you know all this covid stuff is still kind of here but not as intense and so you know nothing to unite in that big way around there and so 
now with and then Peterson is I, I I will say like he's a he's a broken man now and I I don't think it's bad to be broken because I think that's where we could we can grow and and we can be truly humbled so he's he's a different person he's not he's not both of those things he's sort of he seems to be in one in that 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 yearning space and 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 many are still in the political space but i've i've moved on and i feel like rebel wisdom very much you guys have actually not really gotten as involved but you we you know like you said it early on you did the idw sort of pieces and and that, and, and and whatnot but i feel like you guys have have been able to sort of stick with that more higher level but deeper level spiritual space um and that's what I think is left when like, you know, the, the, the burning away of what, of what's the, I don't want to say trivial human matters, but when you are looking to have what's left, you know, what's left when you clear away the, the sort of bickering over like right and left, it, it does seem to have this, be this depth. And so, so that brings us to the second Peterson wave or Peterson number two. And, and so that's, that's what I want to, I guess, look look into because, like it, it's, I kind of ex accidentally explained he's different. He is different, and, but but it seems like we're different, and some of us aren't. I, like you know, some of us are still like wrapped up in that you know political layer, but it feels like we're we've gone through almost like I by I mean we I mean me. Like I feel different from when the from the first time, but I don't know that I'm alone. So that's what I want to get your opinion on. Is that we we've kind of been brought on this journey with Peterson, and it's not it's because of him, but it's not because of him. It's like you said, he's he's touched on something, mm. and 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 we're going through it. And so I'm wondering what what is this new? And I and I do think that Rebel Wisdom is is pushing forward in this space. So that's what I want to know. Um, where, what is happening in this second Peterson era? Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing his conversation with John Viveki mm -hmm. because John Viveki is someone I think is really pushing things forward and his interest in dialogos as a kind of form of a live emergent dialogue is exactly what I think we need is to recover. And that's what I think a lot of us were attracted to with the IDW and with Peterson originally was this sense of novelty, something being new, something being original, the sense that people were going to new areas. And that sense of novelty, I think a lot of us now feel is no longer there, or we struggle to find to know where it is in the culture. So I think, and Peterson obviously talked to John recently, and apparently, uh, I haven't seen it, um, but was very, it was a long conversation. It sounds like he enjoyed the conversation and it sounds like they're going to have another one. I think most of the interesting stuff is happening in the cracks. I think part of the problem with the, in, with the IDW was it was already, one, as soon as it was named, it ceased to be because it was no longer dark by definition. Okay. And, and, the criticism from the beginning was what on earth are you talking about? How can Joe Rogan 
the biggest podcaster in the world be dark? How can Sam Harris be dark? How can Jordan Peterson be dark? And that was true. Like they were dark because they were kind of being ignored. Um, but at the same time, if you have that kind of public profile, if you have that um, attention on you, it's very, very hard to keep growing in public. And I think there's a lot a, a sense that very few of the original members of that group did grow in any significant way. Once we learned what they thought about certain things, okay. I think they they became established with certain positions, with certain arguments that then they kind of calcified around. Those positions, and that, yeah. Yeah, and that sense that that explorate, it's very difficult to explore new territory in public as well. And I think there are some who can do that, but but I think it's very rare. And there are costs to doing that, especially if you're questioning previously held positions. Mm -hmm. So I think by definition, a lot of the more interesting stuff is going on at a lower level. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say John Bavaki is, is someone to check out. Um, a lot of the conversations that my friend Peter Lindbergh is having at the Stoa, that's a really interesting place to check out. Um, and then to realize what, what stops people growing. There are incentive structures that stop people growing. People just get used to a certain type of content. What, uh, what do you mean incentive structures? Like, like follow, the, following the... incentives, following, following views or following controversy or following certain narratives like being cancelled is good for business for example okay audience capture exists as a thing once you establish a certain position once you've got a certain audience it's difficult to challenge that audience they don't like being challenged people don't like people don't like being challenged really youtube has a comments thread if you're a youtube um creator you get to learn what your audience likes, what they don't like. A lot of people are funded by Patreon subscriptions. You get to learn what people like and don't like. Right. There's a series of there's a series of films that anyone who cares about this conversation, I think, should watch by a guy called Timber on Toast about oh, yes. Dave Rubin. Yes. The Battle yeah. of Ideas. That sketches out audience capture. It sketches out what happens to someone who I believe started as a good faith actor, Dave Rubin. Um, how he got captured by his audience, how he started producing content that they wanted to see, how if you go down that level, if you go down that, that path, it's very difficult to come back. It's very difficult to pursue truth if you're worried about what other people will think. And it's very, very difficult to pursue truth if you get aligned, um, again, aligned incentives, meaning if you have a quid pro quo with certain people that you don't criticize because you want to get on their podcast or and you get these little ecosystems of belief that all have their taboos and all have their um, things you can say and things you can't say and you learn and I think all of these people got subject to that I mean Jordan Peterson included like what now I'm yeah the, the Peterson industry is a thing like right. the, there are these there are these financial interests, there are these egotistical interests. Not not every not every trap is a monetary trap. It's also egotistical. It's also popularity. It's also like all of these different things.
which which I actually thought in my you talked about the interview that Jonathan Pajot and Jordan Peterson did. I think Pajot hinted at that in that interview where Jordan said something about his fans yes. as, a, as a community. And I, I felt like Jonathan was saying, whoa, 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 careful. Like, that's not a community. That's, that's not a congregation. No. That's a very unhealthy dynamic, which I think it, it certainly is. But it's one that we can all get trapped in. He was saying, you need peers. Well, what I I don't know this for sure. I've only watched it and I haven't spoken to Jonathan about this. But I imagine that's what he meant when he was saying, when he was asking that question, you just got a sense of him kind of like, oh, no, 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 that's not. That's not a healthy relationship. Mm. Um, that's what I, I think Jordan Peterson or any of these figures with huge followings, you're able to then, to, to when you're overwhelmed with the amount of potential input, both positive and negative, it's very easy. We're, we wouldn't be human if we didn't screen out some of it. Um, especially if a lot of it feels like it's bad faith or a lot of it feels like it's not quite on the money, we start to, we, we then start to only really perceive the stuff that's positive. Right. And, and that, so this kind of, it's infinitely more easy than it ever was to lose your bearings in this new world where we're constantly overstimulated with the amount of input that we're getting from all of these different mediums. Okay, so how does Rebel Wisdom not become audience captured? Well, I think I don't. I don't think you are. I like, think, by I think the, the way, the first thing to say is that none of us are immune. Okay. I did a I did an interview with like when I talk about Dave Rubin, um, which I have a bit. I did an interview with Dave Rubin where I challenged him on a few of these things, and he was very unhappy with it. Yeah. Uh, didn't didn't want it to go out. Blocked me on Twitter, um, and he. But when I when I did an interview with uh, Jay Shapiro, reflecting on the trajectory mm -hmm. of the intellectual dark web and reflecting on Dave Rubin, we said he's a cautionary tale. And it's like there, but for the grace of God, go all of us. I'm vulnerable to I'm vulnerable to the comments thread as much as anyone, mm -hmm. um, and. We all have that capacity. We're all limited creatures. How do we make sure that we are making sense properly? How do we know that we're not being captured? Like we all have the capacity to do that. And I think I feel more comfortable when a creator is is reflecting on that themselves, mm -hmm. that they are they're aware of the possibility and they're aware of that um, that they have the potential to go that route. Um, we have a we have a membership model as well. My sense is that our members are they're very different from the comments thread. The comments thread leads, leads in a particular direction. Mm -hmm. um, our members are much more generally they they come from sort of um, the integral background, sort of Ken Wilber yeah. developmental thinking. So they're a very different crowd, I think, to 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 the general YouTube viewer. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think we all need to be constantly alert to the to to the possibility that we're being swayed by these incentives. Right. Okay. Andrea, how do you make sure that you're not being audience captured? Oh, don't even I leg, I was legitimately thinking as you were describing this like, oh, should I I'm, 
I have a maybe interview with someone where they run a fan club of, of one of these people and one of these IDW folks. And it's probably going to be negative because they've been trying to work with these people. Anyways, and, 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 and like reflecting on some of these things that like, hey, like I've been a really loyal fan club runner and it seems like there's this, this and this issue. Um, anyway. So they're kind of blowing I'm, I'm the whistle. Not sure. Yes, and I'm not sure if I want to do that on my channel because I am like a very, let's look at both sides. And I don't like being polarized in any direction, no matter how compelling it is. But then I'm like, is that just the fear? I'm just, am I just like, oh, I don't want to get, I want to keep potential channels open. <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I don't, I have, I haven't decided to still, I'm still. And, and that's another thing to be aware of. If you're in that position, the, the warping potential of success as well. Like I know that feeling of like, oh, I'm worried about keeping these channels open. Do I really want to put out a, an, a, an interview that's critical of this person or that this person really disagrees with? And this is another, again, this is this is the paradox with the kind of stated goals of the intellectual dark web, which was open conversation and good faith. And and yet we need to be aware that these things come in. Like that's that's my my real um, disappointment with it as a movement is I don't think it le it lived up to those goals. Mm. And I don't think you can live up to those goals unless you have a much more sophisticated understanding of human psychology. Um, of of how we, as as Jay Shapiro said in the interview I did with him, um, just because you've beaten bad philosophy doesn't mean you've beaten bad psychology. Mm. Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. So and so, yeah, and knowing that you're that popular, or knowing that you have you have that much clout, you must you should have it in your mind that people are less likely to tell you when you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, like. You should you should bring that into your into your understanding or your kind of calculations. Um, yeah. So, oh, so you're like, just really think about it more. I mean, it, it, there's no right answer, you know, about like whether you do this or that with these. But yeah, I it, it's. I I do. I'm. You had a. Your answer was good in the sense of no one's immune. No one's immune. So just knowing that we are fallible and that we're human, because it's when you think you're not, the pride cometh before a fall sort of situation. But the, the way that, so for me, like my, my answer, even though your answer was a little bit better, my thought that you were going to go in the direction of was I, you, you like rebel wisdom is looking at, we're not looking to persuade people. We're looking to have better conversations that out that but, but that's me my, i'm projecting that's what i am seeing you guys do in having people who are like i mean in your uh in the film you just put out the little clip that uh john verveke was talking about listening to music and how there's no persuasion it's just it is the end 
There's no, it's not a means to an end. It's just, it is, it just is. And, and, and doing conversations in a way that we listen to music we, where you're just, you're deeply listening. And it sounds so beautiful. And I'm like, I want, I want, like, I want this, you know, I'm feeling like, like, yeah, I, I just, I, I want to grasp that. But we have, I was speaking about this the other day with someone in our, in our early education and, and in, into like, as we get older and older, we're, you're taught how to write a paper in a persuasive way. Like, you know, yes, you do reports on facts and like in the beginning, but, but then as you write a paper, you, here's a thesis statement and here's where you have to outline three main arguments and, and that's how it goes until university, until, you know, post-grad and postdoc work. And it, that's, it, it's, you persuade. And, and, and that's what we're primed for in our Western culture. And I, I, and you guys, I'm saying, how do you do that? How do we, you're like, we're doing discussions on that. So come and take a look, <laughs> take our courses. <laughs> but, but I am asking you that, that is the thing that seems that's, that's beyond the, the, the IDW got caught up in the persuasion thing. We're just having good, we're just trying to have a dialogue. We're just trying to have um, open conversation. But they, but their definition, and this is where the, it depends what you mean by open dialogue, was about just listen to reason. Like that was what you guys were, were outlining. And well, what does it mean to listen to reason? Well, we're not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it in a different way. And, and you guys are saying this in a different way. And I'm like, I, I, it will be like, you can't just answer this, but I do want you to answer it for our purposes since we're here. How do we have conversations where we are listening and not trying to make someone else see the other side when it's these sort of maybe polarizing issues, but not necessarily, but how do we listen? How do we have conversations where we're, we're as if we're listening to music? Hmm. As if we're listening or when we're actually listening? So, see, I don't even know. Like, how do we go the way of listening to music? How do we approach conversations in the same way? Hmm. I would say... So this is something that John Vivekey in particular is is focused on. Like, how do we how do we get ourselves into an open mindset? How do we have conversations that go somewhere new? Partly, I think you have to build trust and you have to build a safe container for that to happen. Okay. But also, there are hacks. One of which is that if you find yourself getting defensive in a conversation, can you? start to become curious about that can you make that kind of internal hack to oh i'm starting to feel reactive towards this i wonder what that might be about and maybe even bring that into the conversation i've noticed that i felt like that when you brought that up and i and i just wanted to to make that if you if you articulate something and make it a conscious part of the conversation then it's not playing out under the surface right that's one thing okay um the, the becoming curious is an actual physical hack because we can only be in an exploratory frame of mind or a defensive frame of mind. We're, we're wired in that binary way. There's a school of thought called polyvagal theory, which is all about how 
the vagus nerve moderates that feeling of safety or unsafety. And when we get defensive, we we stop, we can't, almost physiologically can't take in new information at that point. We mm. become reactive, we become, so can we internally notice that and become curious about that shift? I wonder what it was about that that, that triggered me in that way. Was it a sense that they weren't listening to me? Was it a sense that, um, yeah, whatever that might be, it may be something to do with my conditioning, it may be to do with the judgment about the other person, but can you build that into the dialogue that you're having with that person? Mm -hmm. I think my sense, and this is, you mentioned the courses that we do, and that's why we run the courses. We, we bring in techniques from mindfulness. We bring in techniques from um, interpersonal relating skills. We bring in all of these different things, ultimately to make sense of the world. It's called mm -hmm. Sense Making 101. But the first four or five weeks are really about that knowing ourselves when are we being triggered when are we being limbically hijacked when are we mm. when are we being outraged by the information that's come in how do i become aware of that how do i start to to, to deal with that in myself before then dealing with it in conversation with others before then dealing with it in kind of trying to understand the world mm -hmm. like my my strong sense and i guess someone like sam harris has ended up in a very similar place with his mindfulness apps and this sense that you can't the only way forward is to is to move in a in a in a more conscious direction and bring in techniques from some of these other um more mindfulness therapeutic almost disciplines like that's what we need because we're being manipulated and um influence so much all the time in this kind of it, in the information landscape that we're in okay so, right so i think I, yeah i think we need to we need to like it's always a kind of imperative to know ourselves like the the classic kind of know thyself mm. message from kind of the ancient greeks that has become an imperative now i think okay so Okay, so I, I think that we're closing in on maybe an hour. I don't know. And I, I know I, I said said we'd do, do around an hour. But so, so to, to wrap up, I was wondering for you as an interviewer, again, we're, we're just dividing up everything with Peterson. So, so pre-Peterson versus post-Peterson. But it's not post because he's still around. But do you, how long did you, uh, were you like I guess would you call yourself like were you an interviewer or more of a reporter for BBC the BBC before you left I I did pretty much everything I was a okay. producer director for documentaries before that I was a reporter producer director cameraman editor okay so for, not a bad but not a bad little yeah lots of different things bit. I mean I wouldn't necessarily say that interviewing is my I mean my my probably my main skill would have been narrative documentary interviewing something I do okay um okay well so, it may not have well been I wouldn't main, say it's like my main thing but but regardless it's still well it, I need it for my question so we'll just say that it was important so so yeah I call myself an interviewer if that <laughs> Thank helps you. you Thank you. oh we're just making up narratives now so no but so pre 
pre-Peterson versus maybe post-Peterson. Because it's not necessarily Peterson, it's just that's the measure of the time because the people you've been dis discussed, making, having these discussions with, having these chats with, I mean, you've definitely become an interviewer <laughs> over the past few years. And do you look at the way you talk to people, um, particularly the people you're interviewing, do you... Have you changed your style, I guess, with the idea in mind that you're describing about sort of like asking yourself, like, oh, why did why did I get defensive there? That's interesting. Or or not necessarily that, but just that as an example. But have, have you have you opened up, I suppose, to this different level of relating to someone conversationally in the past few years? Well, yes. I mean, it all—it always comes and goes. Like sometimes I feel in a good sort of relating space, and sometimes not so much. Right. But I—I I did train as a counselor in I think 2016 or 2017. 2017, I okay. think. Maybe. Oh, you, you throw in another job. You're like a uh, director, producer. Yes, I'm not. I interviewed. Also a counselor. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've never really. I've never really like. I've never done. Uh, too many one-to-one -to -one sessions. Right. I have led. I have led groups and sort of been a group facilitator. Okay. But the that counselling training was all about based on Carl Rogers' person-centered mm. counselling. So. Okay. Based on the idea that we find the truth together and it yes. emerges out of the dialogue the between you. Yeah. I only know that because my sister is a counsellor. But yes. Yeah, and I I think that that definitely helped me in my sort of one-to-one -one interviews and I felt like in particular I can remember a couple of interviews that went really well I think because I was able to bring that level of presence to it and the idea that just being fully present mm. is is the therapeutic modality it is the thing that allows you to allows things to be processed between you in a when you're in that kind of relationship, so I think it definitely improved my my skills on that. Okay, so but again, uh, yeah, mm. no, it's okay. Okay, so is it being present? Is that is it, or is it being present with relationship? I'm just trying to just trying to sum up all my questions here, David. You're you're here now. So so is. For what's happening, we're we're our old model seems to be not working, and we're we're looking to different, looking back at, at like you know, different traditions. We're looking forward. Some people are trying to make new new ones, like Verveke's religion that's not a religion, that draws from from other religions. I guess people are trying to find answers as to how to be, and is it. So, like, you know, we can just solve it right now. So is it being present in a cultivated relationship? Not necessarily. I don't mean like like husband and wife necessarily. It could be that. But but that's the, the I guess, one of the most in, intense versions. But is it is it is it cultivating what exists and, and putting into those things and being present in those sort of spaces? The old school, like Dunbar number, look at your hundred people and just really put into them. Like, is that, is that just it? Is that, 
Is that the answer? Did I just come up with it? I'll say yes. Okay, you're like, I'm, let's wrap up. But okay, can you, can you, I promise this is it. This is the end. So is, do you have any comments on that? Um, whether presence is the answer, is that the question? Yeah, yeah, it was a long version of that. Um, I'd say the secret to success or the secret to, like the more we can get out of our own way, the better. What does that mean, David? Well, if you're in doing an interview, if you're constantly thinking about what you want to say next rather than listening to the person who's speaking, that's not going to that's not going to create a good conversation or a good interview. Right. Um, trying to get get out of our own way, like we're often our, our own worst enemies. Okay. And we often get in our own way. So can we get out of our own way? <laughs> Um, All right. There's, 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 there's a concept of group. There's a concept of flow that, again, uh, John Vivekey talks about. John, Jamie Wheel talks about the sort of sense of when we're in that state where we feel that something we're doing is deeply meaningful and that we're really connected with it. And we kind of we know what to do next without knowing without knowing it consciously, without mm. knowing it in a sort of on a propositional level. Like, I think ultimately that for me feels like the goal is to, can we try and get more and more into that place? And that for me is all about more presence. Right. Okay. Okay. Namaste. No, just kidding. Okay. <laughs> that seems like a good, or amen. I am a Christian. I should probably go the, the, the Christ route anyway. <laughs> amen. That's it. So, so it, let it be. I think that is a good place to end. So thank you so much for your time, you know, both off screen and figuring out my technical difficulties and this now. This was great. Thank you, David. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thank you for the conversation. <laughs> if you would subscribe, that would be the bee's knees.